With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. good boys and girls welcome to two footed podcast today is friday the 8th of october we're brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider that's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online change your location access things like american netflix or anything that you're geo-blocked from while also keeping your data safe check out libertyshield.com and use the code eplvpn to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find now on Etsy. Just download that Etsy app onto your phone. Right, folks. So we've got some Newcastle stuff to talk about. We've got some questions from yesterday. But the first thing we're going to talk about, we're not even going to talk, we're going to rant about the laughable, laughable Premier League awards for September. Player of the month, Cristiano. Yet to have a good game, but he scored three goals. Two of them tap-ins, all of them due to goalkeeper errors. And one of the justifications is he had the most shots of any Premier League player in September. But that's not a good thing if you need three goalkeeping errors to score. And in fact, all of his goals for United thus far have been goalkeeping errors. You look at his three Premier League goals. The first one, Freddie Woodman spills it into his path. He's a yard out, he taps home. The second one, Freddie Woodman doesn't get his legs closed in time and he puts it through his legs. The third one, it's his own shot. It's really poor. The goalkeeper makes a save and should really hold on to the ball, spills it back to him, and it's another tap-in. This is your player of the month. He genuinely has not played well yet. What are we supposed to be looking at here? Even funnier, Mikel Arteta is your manager of the month. Mikel Arteta. Because he beat Norwich and Burnley. Because of one game against Spurs, which if you've bothered watching the game, you'll see, could very easily 
have ended in a 3-3 draw. That's your manager of the month for beating Norwich 1-0, Burnley and Tottenham. Oh dear. How low was the bar? Goal of the month, I don't really have a problem with. It's Andros Townsend Screamer against, um, oh, sorry, for Everton. It's an absolute worldie that gives Emmy Martinez, oh no, sorry, not Emmy Martinez, Nick Pope, absolutely no chance. It's against Burnley, obviously. Absolutely no chance. Great strike. No problem with that one. But Cristiano and Mikel Arteta? You have to be joking. Five goals scored. Two clean sheets. Clean sheets against Norwich and Burnley. That's not an achievement. They don't like scoring goals anyway. Norwich have scored two goals all season. Burnley have got five. They were the bottom two when you played them. Of course you should beat them. And you should beat them by more than one goal. And when you play Norwich, the only goal you score shouldn't involve an absolute freak moment where Nicolas Pepe falls over, the ball hits him unknowing to him, and lands in the path of Aubameyang standing on the line. Against Burnley, you needed a worldy free kick from Odegaard. Because you didn't play well. Yes, they played well for 40 minutes against Spurs. Great. Congratulations. Give him a participation ribbon. Manager of the month. Oh, I don't know which is worse. I don't know which of them is worse. Cristiano winning player of the month or Arteta winning manager of the month. But I will tell you this. There are not two people in the entire league who've had more Botox and more teeth whitening than Mikel Arteta and Cristiano Ronaldo. There aren't two. You're not finding two player, two people who've had more Botox and more teeth whitening. Moving on. The Newcastle takeover has been complete. Bobby Firmino is definitely in the top five for uh, teeth whitening. Absolutely. Kloppo's probably up there as well. Kloppo definitely, definitely hasn't had the Botox. Uh, Bobby, I'd say Bobby's more of a facelift kind of guy. Like go the full way, stretch it right back. But I don't think it's happened yet. Anyway, moving on. The Newcastle takeover has gone through. And look, there's a number of things to look at here and a, a number of view, views that you can take on this. Let's look at this first and foremost from a Newcastle fan point of view, uh, or as you know, as best we can do that. Newcastle have been owned by Mike Ashley for 14 years. And for most of that 14 years, it has been pretty terrible. We've had two relegations, uh, your, the stadium being renamed, the whole Wonga saga. We had the eight-year contract for Paraju. We had the Joe Kinnear experience. Uh, we've had the disrespect of legends of the club like Alan Shearer. 
we've had a general disconnect between club and fans. That owner basically trying to rip the club away from the fans as much as he possibly could. We've seen the stadium fall into a somewhat state of disrepair. We've seen a training ground that hasn't been upgraded sufficiently, an academy that has really been left to run by the wayside. It has not been good. None of it has been good. And for the most part, the football has been dreadful. It's been unwatchable dirge for most of the Mike Ashley era. You look at the list of managers who have come and gone under uh, Mr. Ashley. He took over in 2007. At the time, uh, Sam Allardyce, I believe, was the manager. So there's Dirge. He left. Nigel Pearson came in. Short term, Dirge. Kevin Keegan came in for, again, short term, 21 games. The football was okay. The results were shambles. Um, none of it was good. Chris Hewton took over on a caretaker basis. Didn't go very well. Joe Kinnear took over. It was a disaster. Hewton again was the caretaker. It didn't go well. Shearer took over. It didn't go well. They got relegated. Then Chris Hewton took over. And he got them promoted. And then he got sacked really quickly. They brought in Paraju. The football was awful. He was there for four years. None of it was good. You move on. You get John Carver. He doesn't play good football either. The results are a shambles. Steve McLaren comes in. The whole thing is a shambles. Rafa comes in. They get relegated. He brings them back up. He gives them the only hope they've had. Rafa's the only manager that Newcastle have had who's managed over 100 games with a win ratio over four, over 40 percent since Bobby Robson in 2004. Rafa's the best manager they've had in that entire time. He's by far the best manager they've had since Bobby Robson. And Ashley ran him out of town. All of it has been awful. So for Newcastle fans, my belief is that they don't really care at this moment who the owner is. They're just glad Ashley's gone. That's the main reason for celebration. It's not about the Saudis. It's about he's gone. That man who has taken our club, poisoned our club, dragged our club down to his level. He's now gone. And we can put some respect back on the name of Newcastle United Football Club. And I understand all of that. Absolutely, 100%, I understand all of that. I can also understand the jubilation at the idea of what the Saudis could do. You have watched Chelsea be turned from and also ran. They were, I mean, they were a nothing club in the 80s, a nothing club for the early part of the 90s. Ken Bates spent too much money through the late 90s and early 2000s. They won some cups and they almost went out of business. And that was the only way they could have success was to almost run themselves into the ground. Roman took over, untold success, untold wealth, never a worry, club going in the right direction. A bad season is finishing fourth. Okay. 
a bad season for Chelsea under Roman is seen as is finishing fourth. So you've watched that happen. You've had a look at Manchester City prior to Abu Dhabi taking over. They had spent five of the previous 15 years out of the top flight, one of which was spent in the third division. They were a big regional club, not as big a regional club as you. They were also in the shadow of a mega club in Manchester United. They were the noisy little neighbour, the noisy little brother. They were an afterthought for a lot of people. Very loyal fan base. But outside of the City fan base, nobody really cared about them because they were just kind of inoffensive. The most famous thing about them recently is that Ricky Hatton and the lads from Oasis all supported them. That was kind of what they were from from the Lee Bell Summerby era in the 60s and 70s until Franny Lee went to Derby and Colin Bell blew out his knee. That team, that's all they really had to cling to. They beat United once in a Derby. And that was kind of it. That's what they were known for. They, they beat United heavily in a Derby and Oasis supported them. That's kind of what their thing was. They'd gone down, come back up, gone down, gone down again, come back up, come back up, gone down again. And then Taxon Shinawatra took over. There was a whole load of hoopla about him and his assets got seized and it was all very, very strange. And we didn't know enough about him. There was no social media. Uh, journalists had a bit more integrity at the time and weren't speculating wildly as they tend to do now. And then the Abu Dhabi money came in in 08 and all of a sudden they were, you know, they were going to be a force. They were buying players. They bought Rabinho. They stood at the airport and they chanted, we got Rabinho. And then he wasn't very good. And then they started to figure things out and eventually became very good. And you've seen them go on to have great success and pep and all of the stuff. And, you know, the Emirate, the, the Etihad campus and all these great young players that they get and either sell on or bring into the team like a Foden or, you know, Sancho was sold, whatever. You've seen them go from nothing club to where they are. You saw Chelsea go from nothing club to where they are. And you're now looking at it and going, well, we've been a nothing club for quite a while. You know, we, we've been a nothing club for, for quite a while, and maybe now it's our turn. Maybe now we can we can make a run of things. You haven't won a league title since 1927, uh, a real league title, not a, not a championship or division two, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you've won three of them uh, since the 90s, but you haven't won a real league title since 1927. You haven't won a domestic cup, a real domestic cup, that is, FA or League since 1955. Uh, you did win the Intercities Fairs Cup in 1969. That's a trophy that doesn't exist anymore and was always a little bit of a nonsense. It got scrapped to bring in the UEFA Cup, which is obviously a much better format. But you did win that in, in 1969. So that's 
well, that's 50 years ago, 52 years ago. Uh, since you won anything, uh, we're looking at 66 years since you won a domestic cup. And coming up on the 100 years, um, it'll be 95 years at the end of this season since you won a, a league title. So you, you've largely been, in, oh, you did win two Texaco Cups, my mistake, two Texaco Cups in, in the 70s, the Texaco Cup. Also known as the International League Board Competition. It sounds like something you'd win for playing Sabutio. Anyway, um, you haven't had much to cheer about. In the last, well, the last 50 years, what you're best known for is producing Gaza and bottling the title under Kevin Keegan. Would that be fair to say? They're the two things people remember you most for. Producing Gaza and bottling the title. That's kind of what your thing has been, is to bottle things. You've gotten to some cup finals. You know, you got to the cup final in, in 78 and 7, oh, sorry, in, in 74. You got there in 98 and 99. Uh, you finished as runners-up in the league in 96 and 97. So from 95 through to 99, what you were known for was, was bottling things at, at the last stage. And that's fine. So now you've looked at it and you've thought, okay, these guys have much more money than Abu Dhabi and they have much more money than Abramovich. So we can now do whatever we want. We're going to be able to buy all of the players and build this super team and we're going to dominate English football. And maybe you will. Okay? Maybe you will. But let's just take a look at Manchester City. They were bought out by the what's now known as the City Football Group. Uh, at the time, it was the Abu Dhabi United Group in 2008. They didn't win anything under that group until 2012. They lost, sorry, no, they won the FA Cup in 2011. That's my mistake. They won the FA Cup in 2011. Then they won the league title in 2012. That was year four. They won the cup in the third year, the league in the fourth year. They bought a lot of bad players in the interim. I want to give you just a, a bit of a rundown on the type of players that they bought in those early stages of having all of the money. Rubinho, Joe, Wayne Bridge, Tal Ben Haim, Shay Given. From you for eight million. The next year, Emmanuel Adebayor, Roque Santa Cruz, Adam Johnson, the less said the better. And they did buy Carlos Tevez, admittedly. Uh, they spent a combined 50 million almost on Jolian Lescott and Gareth Barry. Decent players, but. Not game-changing players. You look at Chelsea, that first summer, 
but they had Roman's money. Hernan Crespo, great player, flopped. Juan Sebastian Veron, great player, flopped. Adrian Mutu, very talented player, but had a very itchy nose. Uh, Scott Parker, Wayne Bridge, Jeremy, Joe Cole, Glenn Johnson, Alexi Schmierten. Big money move for Damian Duff, had one good season for them. Kind of had his best times then at, at Fulham. How much you? Uh, Claude McAlady was the kind of the, the one that did work. Uh, the next summer they brought in Nuno Marash, Alcides, Matthias Kesman, Alex, Yiri Yurasek, Thiago Mendes, Paolo Ferreira. Mourinho did land them Drogba, Robin, Carvalho. That's fine. You know, even PSG, when they got all the money, because they're the other club you could look at uh, who got all the money. Javier Pastore, Thiago Mata, uh, Kevin Gamero, Blaise Matuidi, Jeremy Menez, Mohamed Sissoko, Alex, Salvatore Sirigu, Maxwell, Diego Laguna. Gregory Vanderveel, you know, a lot of moves that didn't work out. Now, what this tells me is just two things Newcastle may well do. They may well sign Alex, uh, the Brazilian centre-back, who's probably about 40 at this point. Um, and they may well sign Wainbridge, because that just seems to be the two players that clubs that get all the money decide to go and sign. You may well now have all the money, but... It's going to take a couple of years before you become in any way relevant because you're going to spend some of it badly. Because to start off, players aren't going to want to go and play for you uh, because right now you're just not very good. And that's just a fact of life. You're not a very good team right now and you will have to build something more. You will have to build a structure, you'll have to build your football club up before you build your team up. You won't attract a top manager in all likelihood because there's nothing much to manage at the moment. And if we're being realistic, to build a team to compete for the title, you need 10 players. 10 players. St. Maximum is the only player you have who's got the ability to start for a team that challenges for the title. Whether he's good enough to start for a team that wins the title or not, I don't know. But he could start on a team that challenges for the title. So you need 10 players. No top-end manager really wants to take over and have to buy 10 players, get them all into a team together and deal with you know, all the issues that come along with that. So none of that is ideal. So you're going to have to take small steps to get where you want to go. It's as simple as that. You will have to take small steps to get where it is that you want to go. If you try and run before you walk, you will fall flat on your face and all the money in the world won't make a difference. This needs to be done properly. City didn't figure things out for like three years. Once they figured it out, everything came quickly. 
I don't, I don't think Newcastle will figure it out straight away. When you see some of the names already being discussed as, well, this person's in talks already, it's not good. The ones, the names being batted about aren't good. Um, I have seen a mention of Antonio Conte. I mean, he would be the dream. You're not getting Antonio Conte. Unless you're giving him a 10-year contract, complete autonomy across, across the board, he's not even considering it. I don't believe. Now, I would go to him and say, look, you, you know, we're going to build something long-term here. But I would do that in the summer. I don't think he's taking it now. Not with the mess that your club is in. Even with all the money, you're still a train wreck top to bottom. Um, you know, we we don't yet know if Amanda Staveley and, and co. have any clue on how to run a football club. We genuinely have no idea. So we'll have to wait and see. But the names that have been mentioned so far haven't really done a lot to inspire confidence that they're going to get it right quickly. Um, so we'll wait and see. Anyway, the other way to look at this is there's an element of an element of it's all a little bit disgusting here. So this Saudi public investment fund is managed by the man they call MBS, Mohammed bin Saman Al Saud, who is the I believe the son of the ruler of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I believe he is the crown prince himself of Saudi Arabia. And he is ruthless. And he has allegedly ordered more than one disappearance of a person. Um, there's the, the famous case of the American journalist and he has been linked with it, but we won't go into the details, but his the, the, the fiancé of said American journalist has come out to plead with the Premier League not to allow this to go through, as have Amnesty International. Multiple journalists, to their credit, have spoken out about this. You would imagine they will all be barred from St. James's Park in the near future. But it is something that needs to be considered here. So... The Premier League are trying to claim that it's mere coincidence that things fell into place on this deal at the same time as the Saudis rectified their beef, their issues with being sport, at the time that money for the piracy was paid to being sport. Being sport, of course, being... Well, a major partner of the Premier League. It's just coincidence that these two things happen simultaneously. There's no shenanigans here. Of course there's not. Of course we all believe that you just so happened to rectify issues that held this up for a year the day after the being sport thing got sorted. In fact, not only was it the day after, the being sport thing got resolved at about three o'clock on Wednesday. 
And by four o'clock, the wheels were in motion for Newcastle to be taken over. Are you kidding me? So what this tells us is the Premier League doesn't really care about human rights violations, doesn't really care about murder. What they care about is their good old buddies getting bank. As long as you're not taking money out of the pocket of a Premier League partner, you can do whatever you want and we'll let you buy one of our clubs. To say that the optics on this are bad. I don't swear on this podcast. It's a decision I made when we started doing this podcast. But if you take the statement released by the Premier League and you sniff it, you can smell the reek of bullshit coming through the page. It is appalling. The timing of this is shambolic. If you wanted us to believe your story, tell them all to hold off a couple of months. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Let's get this done in a couple of months. Then it's not obvious why we held it up. But it was always obvious because it was reported at the time that the major sticking point on this buyout was the Saudi Saudi Arabian piracy of the Being Sport feed and the blocking of Being Sport being sold to Saudi Arabian nationals. That was widely reported. Based on information given by the Premier League, but now you want us to believe that don't the two things aren't connected. Do these people live in the same world as us? Do they think that just because they release a statement, we're going to believe every single word of it? Do they also think that we don't keep track of previous statements that they've released? It's less than ideal, less than ideal that this man is being allowed to have any sort of connection to English football. And of course, there's been assurances given that it's not the Saudi Arabian government that owned the club. It's the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund. As if they're separate entities. If MBS controls one and he also controls the government, like, what kind of game are you playing here? Do you think we're all stumbling around walking into walls, not able to see? The man is scum. And you're welcoming into the game because 
he resolved some issues that you had doubts over. Nonsense. He put money in the pocket of being sport. That's what happened here. He put money in their pocket. They dropped their opposition to it and you were more than happy to take the handout he was offering you as well. I'm delighted for Newcastle fans that they are rid of Mike Ashley. Absolutely thrilled. And I'm not one who's going to sit here and say, oh, well, if these people bought my club, I'd stop supporting them. I'd go and support, you know, this non-league club or that non-league nonsense. People who say that, they're talking out of their rear ends. It's very easy to say it. None of you would do it when push comes to shove because the bottom line of it is your love of your club overrides whatever moral compass you have. It's as simple as that. So I don't expect any Newcastle fan to walk away in disgust just because this lot now own your club. But I will say this. To those of you singing, we've got our club back. No, you don't. In fact, it's been taken further away from you. And to those of you who have been on social media or on Sky Sports getting interviewed and said, well, they'll get us back to where we belong. You haven't won a league title in 94 and a bit years. You haven't won a cup in 66 and a bit years. I don't know where you think you belong, but it's not at the top of the table. It really is not at the top of the table. If anything, it's mid-table. Because even before Ashley took over, 7th, 14th, 5th, 3rd, 4th, 11th, 11th, 13th, 13th, Newcastle have been a mid-table club. You know, you look back into the 80s. You spent some time in second division when you were in the top flight, 8th, 17th, 11th, 14th. You know, before that, you were in the second division again. In the 70s, when you were in the top flight, 21st, 5th, 15th, 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 9th, 11th, 12th, 7th, 9th, 10th, 20th, 15th. You haven't been a consistent top-of-the-table team for any extended period other than the first four years you were in the Premier League under Kevin Keegan. You finished third, sixth, you bottled the league and finished second, you finished second again. That's it. That's the only four-year period where you're a top six side. You had one other three-year period where you were a top five side, but you never finished in the top two. You haven't won the division in almost 95 years. You're not winning it this year. Let me, let me break the news to Newcastle fans. You're not winning the league this year. It will be 95 years at the end of this season since you last won a league title. When you say 
It's gonna they're gonna get us back where we belong. I don't know what that means. Because where you have been throughout your history is mostly mid-table. There are maybe 15 Newcastle fans in the entire world who have seen that team win a league title, who are old enough to have been around when they won the league title, and they will have very little memory of it. Because before that title in 1927, the previous one was in 1909. I saw someone yesterday say, of course Newcastle have a great starting point. Four league titles, six FA Cups. None of it is recent. None of it is recent. I'd be surprised if more than 50 people who go to St. James's Park week in, week out, were alive the last time they won the FA Cup. So, there is no... Newcastle are a big, big club. But this idea of where we belong, I don't know what that means. Because I look at your history, I go back through your seasons, and I see mid-table. Mike Ashley or no Mike Ashley, I see mid-table. Endlessly mid-table. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's what your history is. Your history is mid-table. And more often than not, the bottom half of the mid-table. I'm thrilled for Newcastle fans to be rid of Mike Ashley. But don't tell me you're going to get back where you belong or back where you were. Because where you've been is mid-table and the second division. We'll be back after the break. Right, welcome back. So, uh, yesterday I didn't get through all the questions um, that were sent in. So, I'm going to try and get through them now. So, Barnsley asks, would Pep consider a switch to Newcastle at the end of next season? I think, well, if they told him he could spend $500 million a year on fullbacks, he might consider it. I think he would need to see a proper project in place he would need to see a real functioning club so perhaps when he leaves city he might take a year off and if they can then prove to him that they're getting things in order maybe maybe my guess is he'll go into the either to the international game or to juventus he's been in italy he's been in germany He's now been in England. I think he goes, sorry, he's been in, in Spain, Germany, and now England. I think he goes Italy next, and then international, or international, and then Italy. I think that's what he'll do. Uh, I don't think he'll take the City job. Um, how long before Newcastle become a top four team? How many, four, how many seasons before their first title? I would say right now, minimum four seasons before their first title contention 
probably five to six before they win it. Um, as far as top four, I mean, I don't think it would take much to knock United out of the top four. So I do think there's a top four spot there for the taking. United are managed by a PE teacher. The team makes no sense. They've got a lot of overpaid, underperforming players. United are there for the taking. Newcastle, if they do it right, if they put the right structure in place, get the right recruitment people in, recruit well, appoint the right manager, maybe two years. After this one. After this one, maybe two years. Um, Sydney Chilla, with the Newcastle takeover, is this a chance for Gerrard to up his managerial experience with an eye on the Liverpool job in five years? I don't ever want Steven Gerrard to manage Liverpool. Uh, I don't think he's... I actually don't think he's a particularly good manager. He had a great season last year, not going nearly as well this season. The first two seasons weren't promising. Um, I don't think he'll even be considered for the Newcastle job. I think when Gerrard comes to England, he's looking at championship or your kind of bottom four, bottom five kind of jobs, a Crystal Palace type of setup. He's not getting anything better than that. Rodgers got the Leicester job because Rodgers had already managed Liverpool. But when Neil Lennon came down from Scotland, having won everything in more impressive fashion than Gerrard, because the league was actually strong and done better in Europe than Gerrard, the best job Neil Lennon could get was Bolton in the championship. So I think people need to pump the brakes on their expectations of what job Steven Gerrard will get. Just because his name is Steven Gerrard, I don't see many clubs bending over backwards to appoint him. His name doesn't carry the same sway anywhere other than Liverpool. That's kind of how it works. Frank Lampard got the Chelsea job. No other Premier League club wanted him in the summer. Scott Parker got the Fulham job because he was Scott Parker of Fulham. No other club would have appointed him. John Terry currently can't get a job. The only club that would take him on on the basis of his name is Chelsea. He's going to end up with a championship club or a League One club, maybe. It's funny, actually. I saw Saul Campbell crying yesterday that he'd applied for a bunch of jobs and, you know, he had chats with all these clubs and he couldn't get a job. And I have to say, Saul, the reason you can't get a job is because you're not a good manager. You've done badly as a manager. You've tried to trade on your name rather than learning your trade. If you want a job, go and take a job in someone's academy. Go and take a job on a coaching staff. I'm sure there are managers in the Premier League or the Championship that would take you on as an assistant and school you on how to be a manager while also taking advantage of the experience and the know-how you have to work with their defences or whatever it's going to be. Learn your trade. Don't trade on your name. And also, don't sue clubs that are going out of business. It's just not a good look. Um... I don't think Gerard will get a, get a look. No. Uh, get. Uh, okay, Eddie Gibbs. Um, Newcastle takeover. Which club is the lowest hanging fruit in the top four going forward? In the short term, it's United. In the long term, it's Liverpool. Because Liverpool don't have the finances to keep up. United do because they make so much money. 
Chelsea do because of Roman. City do because of Abu Dhabi. I think United are the short-term low-hanging fruit, but over the next five years, it's Liverpool. Um, so we had the question about Karius yesterday, if he doesn't have the performance of Champions League. Similar question. If Suarez didn't leave, we would have made top four the next season. Brendan wouldn't have been sacked. A sacked Klopp would have gone somewhere else and we'd have won nothing. Uh, yeah, absolutely true. Uh, if Suarez doesn't leave, Liverpool... Well, Liverpool don't buy Lovren and Lalana, so everything is good in the world. You get that front four coming back, Suarez, Sturridge, Sterling and Coutinho. You're still going to need to find that replacement for Gerrard. Um... The defence would have been a train wreck, but it was a train wreck anyway. So yeah, they would have got top four. Suarez would have got them top four. They, do you know? Yeah, they would have got top four. And and Rodgers would have been kept. He would have signed a bunch more bad players. Suarez would have left. And whoever took over wouldn't have been Klopp and would have taken over a worse situation. Um... Could you see Pep returning to Barcelona and history repeating itself with a breakthrough performance from Gavi last night for Spain and the likes of Areo, Pedri, Puig and Fatih waiting in the wings along with the likes of Desti Young? Would he be a con- the best candidate for a rebuild in a couple of years' time? So I've said on this podcast, I think the best thing that Barcelona can do is look at the next four years as we need to get top four, and we need to get knockout stages as Champions League. No ambition to win the league. No ambition to win the Champions League. Just really boring. Get top four. Get through to the knockout stages. And get as much money coming in as possible. Barcelona have been making, in the region of about 800 million in turnover the last number of years while spending more than that on wages and transfer fees and losing money. Barcelona have the capability to bring in seven, eight hundred million a year, every single year. If you get those expenses down under control and you can start chipping away at that incredible debt, throwing two and three hundred million a year at it just to get it gone, then then you can start to look at a future. But for now, I think they're in a situation that's not what where Pep Guardiola wants to be. They don't want a Pep Guardiola. They want, I mean, Simeone would be ideal, but he, he's too ambitious. Conte the same. Managers whose football doesn't necessarily require individual brilliance. Um, Pep's requires individual brilliance. I think I think someone like Valverde would be better to return. Uh, Martin Steen, what is your podcasting setup, hardware, software, and what websites do you have open to get uh, information while recording? So um, I use Audio-Technica headphones, a Yeti Blue microphone, but rather than run it through the USB... I run it through a Focusrite um, Scarlet Solo. Um, that's basically it. We record most of these on Skype. 
uh, we record some on Discord, live on Discord. Um, I've got a big arm thing as well that swings off the desk, but I've no idea what brand it is. So apologies for that. I use a, a boom uh, boom guard thingy as well. Um, yeah, it's not it's not a massively complex setup, I have to say. It's quite bare bones. I have been considering going for a, a new mic, uh, maybe a Shure, but this one works perfectly fine for now. So, you know, I've had this one for... I got the mic and the headphones the same time. It was 2015. But in the end of 2015, uh, I bought the Scarlet Solo last year because I used to run it through the USB and the sound was just a bit hit and miss. So I bought the Scarlet Solo on the advice of Fidzy, bought the arm and hooked it all up that way. Um, and I just run it directly. In, the, the, the Scarlet Solo runs directly into the back of my computer. And that's basically it. Yeah. It's nice and simple. It's compact. It's easy to shift around if I need to. Um, but yeah, that's basically me. Um, Chris Colby, expanding on the Watford managerial discussion from earlier this week. Oh, as for, sorry, uh, Martin, as for websites that I have open, I always have a Google tab open, a Wikipedia tab open, I have football reference open, and I will have the Premier League site open as well if I need anything from there. Um, but I don't really plan shows for the most part. So generally, I don't have any kind of agenda or script or anything for these. I just sort of say to the guy, I'll figure it out as I go. Like there'll be, t I'll say to the guy, what, what are the topics today? And he'll tell me what's been discussed and we'll try and hit them all. And then if not, if there's nothing to talk about, the BBC website's always good. I'll have the Athletic open. Um, but, yeah, I just sort of make it up as I go along. There's no real structure to any of this, um, which, you know, I don't know if that comes as a surprise or not, but I do just sort of, you know, guy counts me in and I just go from there. And every podcast is an adventure at this point. So uh, I found that the... The agenda thing didn't really work for me. If I tried to stick to anything too rigid, it breaks my brain a little bit because I like to go on tangents. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely not the right person to um, try and replicate podcast-wise because it it's a bit chaotic. Someone like Downey is a bit more structured. Trev Downey is more structured and... Obviously, has that lovely voice as well. See, I'd love to have his voice. I'd swap my voice for his voice any day of the week. Um, anyway, Chris Colby, expanding on the Watford managerial discussion from earlier this week, what current EPL managers do you think could have lasted at least a year as Watford manager based on the talent, financial resources, and more importantly, the expectations of the team? So the, the difficult thing with Watford is, what are the expectations? Are they just to stay in the division? Is it to finish in mid-table? 
Because they certainly didn't act in the summer like a club with ambitions of mid-table or higher. It was very much a on-the-cheap, you know, let's try and stay in the division type of, of thing. And it, that's generally how they've acted. Every so often, they do a madness and they spend money on a, one big player. Like, you know, they brought in Gray, for example, from Burnley a few years back. Then they brought in uh, Richarlison. They sold him for big money. They brought in Ismael Assar and Joe Pedro. Um, I don't know what the expectations is. Now, I know there's a lot of talent at that club. And I, I looked at their squad, not this past summer, last summer, when they'd been relegated. And you could have put together a really good team where you were only one or two players short, mostly at centre-back, of a really good team. But they moved on Purvis and They've moved on... Luis Suarez, not that one, the other one. Uh, they've moved on a lot of talented players that really could have helped them. So I just think there's too much upheaval there. I think you would need to have certain assurances from the ownership that you were going to be allowed to do things your way for some managers. So let's look at the Premier League managers. So top of the table, we've got Thomas Tuchel. If you get Thomas Tuchel, you, you're giving him time. I I think he'd actually be fine with how they operate in Watford because he's been at PSG. It's a little bit chaotic as well. Jurgen Klopp's head would explode with how they do things. I think he would want far more control than they'd be willing to give him. I think it, he ends up walking out after about a month. Guardiola is similar. I think he likes a calm situation. I think he likes clarity in what the parameters of his job are. I think he likes continuity in his team. Um, funnily enough, Ollie's the type of Ollie would be just thrilled to have a job because the man, to even for him to be managing in the Premier League, would be a step above his ability. For him to be managing Man United, it's hilarious. Watford would be a fair cop. And I think he'd just be thrilled. He'd do what they told him to do. And he's got that uncanny ability just when he's about to get real pressure on his job. He'll win a couple of games. I think that would keep him in the Watford job. Um, and remember, Ollie's, he's pretty decent at setting a team up to park a bus and try and spring on the counter. And I think Watford have players where you could do that. They're not particularly good at centre-back. But they do have decent midfielders, some ball winners in there, can clog passing lanes and just make things really tight and really horrible. And then you've got the pace of Sar Dennis and maybe the finishing of Joe Pedro on the counter. I think Ollie could do okay there. Um, Rafa, Rafa's adaptable, but again, I think he likes a bit more control. Now, he did work at Newcastle under... Ashley, where the rug was being pulled from under his feet and the goalpost been moved all the time. So I think he could get through. Graham Potter would hate it and walk away. I think Thomas Frank would hate it and walk away. Nuno could make it work. For similar reasons to Ollie. He's a better manager than Ollie, but I think he would make it work. Moyes is a bit of a problem solver. And Moyes doesn't have huge expectations. 
He's also worked now twice under uh, Golden Sullivan. He worked at Everton when his best players would be sold on him. I think Moyes makes it work. Um, I don't think Dean Smith would enjoy that chaos. I really don't. I think he. I think it, I don't think he'd he'd do well there. Um, Arteta, like with Oli, just managing a Premier League club is above his station. So I think Arteta would find a way to make it work in a similar way to Oli. Does that thing where really bad result, really bad result, really bad result, some pressure, another bad result, all the pressure coming, three good results in a row. So I think I think he'd be fine like Oli. Um, Bruno Lage wouldn't wouldn't work. Rogers wouldn't work. His ego wouldn't allow it. And obviously he's been at Watford and it didn't go well. Uh, Vieira, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he's too temperamental. Bielsa would murder everybody in the building. And there'd be, it would just be chaotic. All we'd hear is that someone had gone into the main offices at Watford and discovered everybody dead with pens sticking out of their neck and their noses stapled closed and Bielsa would have just disappeared from the country. Um, Ralph Hasenhutl could not deal with that chaos. Deich has been there. He left. I don't think he'd go back. Steve Bruce would go there, take any Premier League job. And, I mean, he'd probably just about keep them up. That's kind of the Steve Bruce thing. Daniel Farkin, no. So the ones that I think could, Bruce, Arteta, Moyes, Rafa, Oli, and Tuchel. Now, for the most part, other ones, it's not that they couldn't work there. It's that they couldn't work there. They would do a good job. They just couldn't deal with the lunacy that goes on around the club. So I, I, it's the weirdest job in English football. It really is. Like, at least with Chelsea, you're guaranteed a big pay. If you're getting the Chelsea job, you're getting paid somewhere between 6 and $10 million a year. Three to four year contract. They sack you. Well, you just go to the beach for three years. Let them pay you millions. Are you going to do take another job and give up that money? No, 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 no. You get that Chelsea job, you're making sure you're set for life. Now, what you can do is you can also get it guaranteed like V.S. Boas did. So V.S. Boas, they bought him out of his contract at Porto. I think gave him a six year contract at like nine million a year or something like that, having paid thirteen million, sacked him after seven months. But because he was smart, because Mourinho had advised him to, he got that money guaranteed. So when they sacked him, they paid him every penny, and he just went and took another job a year later. He sat at home for a while, counted his millions, and then just went and took another job. Moyes the same thing at United. United paid Moyes. Now they paid him in a, in a, his in installments. Fiat Boas got a lump. But Ferguson made sure Moyes' contract was guaranteed. So Moyes could go and take the Sunderland job, the Real Sociedad job, and fail at them. Because that Man United money was still coming in. Because most top managers will do it anyway. Klopp, Pep, Jose. Their contracts are guaranteed. No matter what, you're paying them all their money. Same thing with Conte. Same thing with Simeone. Like, remember when Conte was at Chelsea? 
If Chelsea sacked him, he would have got a job the next day. They negotiated because he wanted to leave as well. But he wasn't going to leave the money on the table. So he tried, he dared them to sack him. Sat there through the second year, dared them to sack him. They sacked him. He got his money, took off. The issue with Conte was that his staff didn't all have guaranteed contracts. So he was trying to fight to get their contracts paid out as well. I think Chelsea settled and ended up paying out about half of what was owed. But either way, if you want a job that you walk into and you're not certain to be there six months later, regardless of results, good or bad, Chelsea's the one to take because they're going to pay the big money and your contract will be guaranteed. You take the Watford job, you're probably getting a 12-month contract. Um, okay, last question, I think, from Flatsy. Uh, who's your two World Elevens that would face each other? Northern Hemisphere versus Southern Hemisphere. Who would win and why? So, I mean, we say Northern Hemisphere, it's basically Europe, isn't it? Like, there's nobody from South America, from, from North America that you're really taking in a World eleven. The closest would be Alfonso Davies, but there are three or four left-backs better than him. And, I mean, Christian Pulisic is probably the best American. He's not getting in a World eleven either. So it's Europe against South America and Africa. Now, with, uh, not of respect towards Asia, I think Hyung Min Son is the best Asian player in the world. And I don't think he's... I don't think he's in either of the best 11s from the others. So... No, I don't think he is. Um, right, best European goalkeeper. Let me write this down. Best European goalkeeper is Jan Oblak. So we'll go Oblak and we'll go Allison. Um, right backs, Europe, it's Trent. The rest, I suppose Europe versus the rest is the best way to go, isn't it? Um, actually, there's a question. Who is the best? That's not a bad shout, guy. Tommy Asu might be. He's definitely in the conversation. He's definitely in the conversation here. So... Brazil don't really have a great right-back at the moment. Argentina don't have a great right-back at the moment. Go through Nigeria. Oh, Hakimi, there's a shout for you. There's a shout for you. It is. It's Ashraf Hakimi. Yeah, I would have got there eventually once I went through all my African countries. But yeah, thank you, God. That is a shout. Um, okay, left back, European left back. It's it's got to be Andy Robertson. It just has to be Andy Robertson. Uh, I'm taking no arguments on this fact. Um, do you know maybe 
Maybe it is Alfonso Davies is the best left back then. If I go Europe versus the rest, it probably is Alfonso Davies because Teo Hernandez is European. Renan Lodi's not quite there yet. Luke Shaw's European, obviously. Do you know what? I'll go Alfonso Davies. Okay, centre-backs. South America takes both spots for the non-European team with Christian Romero and Marquinhos. For the Europeans, it's Virgil, obviously. And I'm really tempted to go Delict. I'm really tempted to go with Matthias Delict, but Varane is probably still slightly better. There's no German, there's no Spaniard. I'll go Varane. Right, holding midfielders, I'm going to go Joshua Kimmich for, for Europe and Casemiro for South America or for, for the rest. Partnering them for Europe, I'm going to go Frankie de Jong. And I think I'll go Fabinho. Play a double, just a double holding midfield pair because there's going to be lots of attackers now. Um, right, we'll finish off the non-European team first. So... Off the right, I'm going Salah. Off the left, I'll go Neymar. And then I've got Messi. Hmm. Let me think. European-wise, we'll go... See, I really like the German pair of Gnabry and Sané. I, I, I think those two are just spectacular. But I've got to have De Bruyne as the 10. Got to have him there. I'm tempted to go Gnabry and Sané as my wingers. Gnabry, Sané. Do you know? So then I can't have Mbappe. I don't think Mbappe or Haaland really gets in anyway. So I'll go Lewandowski as my nine. With a nod of the cap to Karim Benzema, who is absolutely unbelievable right now. And if you haven't seen his goal yet for France this week, go and watch it. So my European 11 is Oblak, Trent, Varane, 
Virgil Robertson, Joshua Kimmich and Frankie De Jong, Gnabry, De Bruyne, Sané, and Lewandowski. My world 11 is Allison, Hakimi, Romero, Marquinhos, Davies, Casemiro, and Fabinho, Salah, Messi, Neymar, and I need one more. Do you know what? I'm going to cheat here. He was in the wilderness for France for years. He's of, I believe, Algerian descent. It's going to stick Benzema because he deserves it because he's awesome. Going to stick him on the other one. You can argue and have Suarez or whoever you want, but I, I'm going to stick him there just for the crack. Um, I think the Europeans win. I think the Europeans would win. I think functionally it would be better. But seeing Salah and Messi together would be a lot of fun. That is me for today. That is us for the week. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, next week we'll be making it up as we go along once again because of this glorious international break that we definitely needed um, only a few weeks after the last international break, which we also definitely needed only two weeks into the season. Uh, but enjoy yourselves. Have a good weekend. Obviously, any boxing fans out there, Fury versus Wilder on Saturday night should be fun. There's UFC. There's NFL. There's NBA preseason. There's baseball playoffs. There's rugby. And there's international football if you're sick. If you're just unwell in the head, there's international football. See you Monday. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.